Welcome. This is Karen Modakaitis, and you're listening to How She Really Does It, the place where inspiration and possibility meet on KDRT 95.7 FM. Karen Rolwand is a writer, photographer, author, and speaker, and that's just during the working hours. She's also a licensed attorney and an engineer. I bet you're wondering where I'm going with this. How did Karen go from being the chief counsel of one of the largest software companies in the oil and gas industry and the former chief of staff of a Fortune 200 company to an author of a best-selling book, The Beauty of Different, Observations of a Confident Misfit? She's also the creative mind behind Chuckalunks. She's a TEDx Houston speaker, and her press page includes appearances on PBS, Huffington Post, CNN.com, and The Oprah Winfrey Show. Karen is here to share with you her personal transformation. I invite you to consider if this is possible for Karen, what is possible for you? Karen, hello and welcome to my show. Hi, it's so good to be here. Well, thank you. So your transformation, you were in this very practical world that, you know, being a lawyer and having an engineering background and working in corporate America. Yes. And you left that. I did. Why? I did. Crazy, right? It's insane. <laughs> On paper, everything was perfect. What was I thinking? Um, I, you know, I left it because, um, oh gosh, the the <laughs> the reasons are are legion. Um, for a couple of for a few reasons. One was um, honestly, I was not um, particularly happy doing it. I uh, I had what seemed like the perfect job. I really did. I was um, I was you know challenged. You know. As far as intellect, I was definitely challenged. I was pretty well respected in my um, in my uh, in my field, which was fantastic. But uh, I wasn't really. This wasn't something that I was um, necessarily cut out to do. I was a I was a decent lawyer. I was a better people person, and I think that my people person skills probably um, helped me out more than my lo- my lawyer skills, frankly. Um, uh, I was decent enough. I was one of those people that I can work with people well, and I could, I could, uh, I could uh, talk to people well and convey things. But I was not necessarily that great of a technical lawyer. I, you know, I was, I was okay at it. So that was part of it because that can be really draining when you're doing stuff that you're not necessarily um, is native to you. Um, and then also, I was a, I, I, I had a young child, and I was working crazy, crazy hours. Not that I don't work crazy hours now, <laughs> but um, at least I'm doing it on my time. And I was doing a lot of, of just crazy, you know, 18-hour days. And I felt like I had really achieved a lot in corporate America, but I was so new at, at being a mom. And I thought, well, you know, I mean, I've pretty much done everything that I ever wanted to do in corporate America. I don't know anything about being a mom. And uh, maybe I should figure out a way to to uh, do this, to be able to focus on my kid when, um, in a way that's that I didn't feel like I was short-changing my employer or anything else because I had to focus on my child. So, um, so that was big. Uh, yeah. So, so that's basically why I did it. Plus, you know, honestly, I was getting panic attacks. It was affecting my health. It was, it was time to make a change. It really was. How did you, how were you able to trust that part, that intuition part and let go of the practicality of here is status, here is a, a an income that, you know, is very nice. Yep. How, how do you, how are you able to trust that? Uh, <laughs> I had no choice. <laughs> I mean, I really, I really felt like I had no choice. It was time to leave. I, I was, I was literally, um, I remember one night I was lying in bed and, uh, and I could just feel my heart just racing and racing and racing. And I, and I had not been doing anything. I was resting mm-hmm. and I didn't feel like I was, um, like I didn't feel panicked. So I, I, I don't, I hesitate to call it a panic attack cause I was relaxed, but I could just feel my heart pounding and my husband, um, took my pulse and it was something like 120 and I hadn't been doing anything. I was just, and so there were just little things like that, that were just happening. And, um, and I was waking up and I, you know, I'd be in tears every morning getting ready for work and it was just not, it was just not good. So I really, 
um, I, I really felt like I had no choice. A lot of people say, oh, you're so brave to have done that. And I was like, no, I mean, I had to, I had to go. But, but I will say that, um, that my husband and I both worked in the oil and gas industry. And uh, certainly at the time, I, I, I don't know that I can speak with any sort of knowledge now, but certainly at the time, five, six, seven years ago, it was, that's a very volatile place to be. Like, you know, depending on the market, you, layoffs could come at any minute. And so we had sort of priced our life to live on one salary, right? Mm -hmm. So when we, even when we were both working, we were like, we got a house that we knew if one of us would get laid off, we wouldn't lose the house, right? Like, so, so I knew, um, that I could, that I could leave. Uh, I could, I knew that, um, like, you know, we weren't gonna lose the house, you know, we still could make our bills if I left. Now, that's not to say that we didn't take a hit because, you know, we, we cut our income in, you know, at that time more than half um, to do it. But, but I knew that we were, you know, we were going to not, we weren't going to be homeless was the big thing. Um, so that was very, very helpful. What was really tough um, and took years to get over was what you were saying earlier about the whole status thing. Like there's something really kind of sexy to be able to <laughs> tell people, you know, I'm a lawyer, right? Like when, what do you do for a living? I'm a lawyer. And, and it was really interesting. Um, how much I struggled with not being able to say that anymore um, and what that meant, like the ego that was attached to that, which is so ridiculous. I mean, I'm, I'm over it now, but I, you know, if I'm honest, that, I, that was a really tough thing to do. And also um, feel like maybe I was letting my family down because I had this law degree and I wasn't using it to help provide for my family. And that, that felt very sort of selfish at the time. Um, and so the, that would, that took some time to get over. That was actually probably the biggest struggle for, for me. Can you say more about that? Yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, so, and, and I will say that, 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 that struggle was completely 100% self-imposed. Like mm -hmm. when I made the decision, uh, to, to leave, um, the practice, my husband was a hundred percent behind me. Like there was never, there was never anything but support um, from my immediate family to do, make this decision. He was like, you know what? We, we know we're going to be okay. There's no reason for you to go to work unhappy every day. This is silly. Quit. Like he was like, do it, go, go be happy. Um, so it had nothing to do with that. Um, uh, it probably had a lot to do with maybe the, um, the incredulous looks I would get when I told people I was leaving. Um, they'd be like, w are you insane? Like you, you've got, You've got the dream job. You've got what people are working for, all you know, working toward all the time. Um, so maybe there was a little of that that was sort of like, wow, maybe I am insane um, to be doing that. But, um, but I have to say that uh, despite it all, I've never looked back. Like I've never gone, wow, I really, I really made a mistake here. <laughs> I need to, uh, I need to go back to law. That's never happened. That said. Um, I still am a licensed attorney um, in good standing. I never went inactive with the state bar. I'm still an active member of the bar, of the bar association. Um, I pay my dues. I take my courses every year, and um, and I think that's part of it. Is you know I just work too hard for that law degree to uh, to make <laughs> it go away. But also I you know I feel like it's um you know there there might be there might be a little bit of safety net thinking there, but I think it's mostly. Uh, I feel like it's 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 part of who I am at this point. You know, I am a I am a lawyer, and and I feel like that's even though I don't practice anymore. Even though if people come to me for legal advice, I very politely shoo them off to friends of mine and colleagues who are still practicing. Um, but uh, I have sort of future plans for how I'd like to use my law degree to kind of um, support the work that I do now. And so I I keep it active. I I, I feel like you know there's there's going to be a way that eventually I'll be able to fold that into into what I do. So, um, so yeah, so it, you know, it's, it's sort of on a back burner right now, but, um, I, I'm not ready to say that it's completely in my past quite yet. Future plans. Are you willing to share them? <laughs> well, um, so, so you, you mentioned this book that I wrote, The Beauty mm -hmm. of Different. Um, and, uh, and as the book did, uh, really, really, uh, well, um, and I say that by, um, meaning that I, it did better than I ever expected it to do. Like I, I sort of wrote the book and, uh, uh, and you know, just kind of put it out there and I didn't expect the kind of wonderful response that it had. So, um, 
so yeah, so so that did really well. And what happened was a lot of people. The book basically is is a series of portraits, both uh, photography and stories of people who have really embraced the thing that makes them different, um, in a way that it's really become their superpowers. Uh, and some of the things are things that I think society would say, wow, that's really weird. You shouldn't necessarily be proud of that. Um, but they've figured out a way to really kind of harness it and make it work and, and use the power for good. Um, and so people responded very well to it. And, and, you know, I'd get emails all the time that said, you know, that's great. I get it. You know, the thing that makes me different makes me beautiful. Um, and I get it on paper, but that's really kind of hard to make the switch in my head that, um, to really believe it. You know, it, it sounds good logically, but I don't know that I believe it. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so I started an online course uh, where I, you know, it was sort of a journaling prompt, a five-week course that I'd been, I've been doing for a couple of years now, or I had been doing for a couple of years now, on how to kind of really identify that thing that makes you different and figure out ways that you can use it um, as your superpower. And that's done really well. And since then, I've, I've, I'm actually launching the first in-person workshop in the fall um, where people, where we'll do it together. Like where it's actually going to be, you know, at a, you know, in a room where we're all sitting together. Like it's a small course, only 25 people. And we're actually going to work through the stuff that was in this online course. Um, this is a very long answer to your question, but I'm getting there. So one of the <laughs> things that I really wanted to do was... Um, I, as part of taking all of my um, my continuing legal education courses to keep my license active, I learned that uh, that lawyers currently are the most suicidal profession in the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the only people who are the people who are right behind us apparently are the dentists. Um, that they tend to be most depressed, most addicted, most suicidal. And I really was sort of thinking, you know, it's it's heartbreaking to me that people go to law school. I, you know. Most people go to law school because for altruistic reasons, right? I mean, you know, some people, of course, go because they think that they're going to get wealthy, which God bless them. <laughs> Nowadays, I don't think that's a very realistic um, dream. But I think most people go because they want to be Atticus Finch. You know, they have this idea of sort of fighting for the for the little man or fighting for justice or fighting for the environment or fighting for, um, for something that's really important to them. They want to be environmental lawyers or they want to be prosecutors or defense attorneys or, you know, whatever. And then somewhere on the, along the way, it becomes this really um, soul-sucking thing. I've always thought it was really interesting how people are always impressed when you're in law school, but then when you tell them you're a lawyer, they're like, "Ugh, a lawyer hate lawyers, right?" Like, <laughs> like there's some sort of there's some sort of switch that kind of goes. And I thought, you know, there's got to be a way that we can um, we can harness that different in ourselves to actually make the practice a practice that we'd be proud of. And so my future dream is sort of to take the beauty of different and apply it for um, continuing education for lawyers, um, for a way to harness what makes them different, to make their practice more fulfilling to them. Um, so that, that's, that's the hope. I haven't done anything about it yet, but that's kind of the dream, is to sort of take the learnings from the beauty of different and bring it back to, to the profession, to the law profession. I love that because that's like that Malcolm Gladwell, right? The 10,000 hours and you're merging yep. you know, your superpower with this this 10,000 hours that you have, this area of mastery and this insight that you have into this group of people, right? And, and then helping them move forward. So I love that. Uh, I, I sort of love it. And, and the thing is, I, I, um, I remain quite passionate about the profession of law. I don't necessarily want to go back and practice it. But, um, but I really sort of, um, I, I've, I can't think of any lawyers that I've ever worked with that I thought fit the stereotype of lawyers. Like, Every lawyer that I've worked with, there might have been some that I thought were inept, but, but not um, evil, right? Mm-hmm. Like everybody that I've, I've ever worked with were really good people. And, um, and I hate the thought of having sort of abandoning that group of people. Like if there's a way, like I, I feel like my work helps a lot of people. And if there's a way to do it to help lawyers in particular, I'd love to do that, I think. So that's, that's sort of a future goal thing that I don't really talk about that much. I can't believe you got that out of me. It's like you're Barbara Walters. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, apparently, I have this, a secret superpower of getting things out of people. So I, You apparently do. Apparently. Don't make me cry. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, as you were talking and talking about the transition and leaving, you know, away from kind of the societal rules, I was thinking about an old, I think it was an article in the New York Times years ago and how the feminists, the women uh, generation ahead of us were really upset 
And I think the women that are below us are about like in their 30s, because yep. um, I'm 41, so we're kind of in the same demographic. Yep. Um, but the women in their 30s and how they were going off to you know law school and they're going off to prestigious places, but then they would make a conscious decision not to go and practice because they wanted, they were very deliberate about wanting to be home with their family. And there was, you know, and this is also the media too, right? There was yep. this kind of media play of, oh, these hardcore feminists who have paved the way. And now look at these women, they go and access the education, but then they're not actually doing anything with it. And there was kind of some judgment. And so as you were talking, I was wondering about how did, you know, did that, did that, at all come into your stream of consciousness or your subconscious about as you were making these choices did it trigger any guilt mm. um it didn't trigger any feminist guilt mm -hmm. i don't feel like um like that's such an interesting question um honestly if there was any sort of societal guilt that i felt it was much more about the fact that um that i was a black woman and there were so few black mm. women in the in in the profession of law, and um and I was leaving. So it I think it was actually more sort of racial. I think mm -hmm. in a in a lot of ways than it was sort of feminism on that thing. I you know I'm a I am a firm believer personally that um I I would describe myself as a, a feminist. And frankly, as I get older and older, I become uh, more and more um more and more feminist you know like activist kind mm -hmm. of feminist and especially I think also because I have a daughter um but I think uh for me I would describe feminism as the right to determine your life Ooh. um and to sort of have the right to do so without penalty because of your gender um and honestly I you know you, you've touched on a nerve <laughs> So I, you know, I feel like, um, like I, I feel like it's as, as valid for a woman who chooses to stay home with her family, um, to call herself a feminist as it is for a CEO of a company. I, mm -hmm. I really do. Um, what I am probably more angry about than anything else is I feel, uh, pretty strongly like corporate America, uh, does a really poor job of valuing family. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and I, and that's not to say that I don't think that women, like, you know, women are still getting paid 75 cents on the dollar for, that men are, and that's horrifying. But what I think is interesting is with the work that I do now, which is not practicing law, I still do a lot of travel. I do a lot of public speaking. And I am always very conscious of whether or not my husband is getting penalized at his job because he has to leave to pick my daughter up from school while I'm traveling. Mm -hmm. um, and... And I don't, and that, and that's a, a lot of fabrication on my part. Like he has never ever experienced that, and he happens to work for a company that um, that is okay with it. But he also happens to work for a company that's not an American company, mm -hmm. and I think, um, and I think that has something to do with it. I, you know, he works for uh, for for a company uh, for a, a, a non-American corporation. Mm -hmm. But I feel like. Um, like to me, I think it's amazing that when companies are building whatever their corporate headquarters, like a lot of them will build uh, gyms, like workout <laughs> facilities, which is great. But why not contract out for daycare, right? Why not contract out for after school care where you can go pick up your kid and bring them back and know that they're safe and still continue your job? Like, I feel like there's a lot of things that people are like, I think the, the corporate America still expects everybody to have a wife at home. Mm -hmm. um, whether or not you're a woman, <laughs> mm -hmm. like you need to have somebody at home that's taking care of your family because we need you here 24 seven. And I find that, I find that a little bit, um, horrifying. And I think that, I think that men are penalized for being parents as well. Like they're, um, the, the problem is you don't see it as much because the sort of societal expectation is, well, his wife will take care of it. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and that I find disturbing, but as far as, you know, as far as, you know, a, you know, somebody who's betraying sort of feminism because they choose to stay home with their kids and not um, earn a living outside of their home. I mean, I, I honestly, I think that's bunk. I think that's, uh, I think the point, I think it, uh, equally, I think a man should be able to do that as well without being penalized. I think that being able to um, make those sort of decisions for your family should not be penalized. And I don't think it's anti-feminist. Um, to make those sorts of decisions. So I didn't, I really didn't have that. And like I said, um, 
And I also feel like everything that I've done, um, including, you know, being an engineer and being a lawyer and doing that stuff has brought me to this place. Like, I don't feel like I've necessarily abandoned everything. There's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of, of legal stuff I do in my gig right now. And, you know, there's a lot of stuff that, that I know, um, I use. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, so I don't, you know, I don't, uh, necessarily, as a matter of fact, I'm going to be speaking to a bunch of lawyers. Uh, one of my speaking gigs coming up is to, um, a bunch of lawyers. So <laughs> about what I would do now. So I think, I think that that's, um, uh, yeah, I never felt, I never felt the feminism thing, um, or that I was betraying sort of the feminist cause. Um, maybe because I consider myself such a staunch feminist mm-hmm. um, in the process as well. Well, and I think, you know, with the merging, right, of, of your world, you also mm-hmm. give street cred, right? I mean, obviously, even with me, it's like, oh, okay, here's somebody who went, and yeah, I hate that term leap, but, you know, le- leaped, right? Yeah. But, but and she left something that was totally pragmatic. I mean, I did the same thing. I had the one of the most coveted jobs in the state of California. Yep. And, you know, when I sent out an email saying I was resigning, one of the emails that came back from a mentor of mine was in capitals, why? With yeah. question, 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 like, why would you do that? That's, you know, it's crazy. Right. And because right. um, on paper, it looked great. Yep. But so you get street cred. But going back to this feminist piece, because one of the things as you're talking and I'm thinking about it, and maybe it was, you know, who knows? I didn't, I didn't talk to the feminists about it, right? That led the trail f- before us. And yep. we know how the media can try to inflame things, right? To ignite stuff. But maybe the other side is that, you know, there was so much change that had to occur that it it was like, look, we, we want to pursue this. We want equal opportunities for men and women. And th- maybe the generation above us was like, hey, look, when we can have what they have, and maybe our generation is going, wait a second, do, do we really want what they have? Yeah. Right? Or do right. we want something that's really in line with our values and our strengths and our priorities? Correct. And I think that's true. And I think it's, I think it's totally... F- what I think um, the feminist movement has done, and I don't think it's finished, but I think what the feminist movement has done is allowed the generation now who's coming up behind us to say, I can make a choice. I can make a choice to either you know, work 20 hours a day at a corporation um, and have my partner stay home with our kids, or I can make the choice to be the person who say, but I have that choice. And I think that the generations before us didn't have that choice. Like, you know, women went to college to meet their husbands, Mm -hmm. right? Like that was sort of the point of college if you went. It wasn't really um, to actually do something with that degree. That was, you know, and of course there's, except people people went to to do something with that degree. I don't mean to say that, you know, Mm -hmm. obviously we have Supreme Court justices who clearly (laughs) did something with their degree. But I think that society kind of was like, my mother tells me that um, she went, my mother and her sister, they went to university. And when she was going to university, people would ask her father, why are you sending them to university? That's such a waste of money. Like, why would you do that? They're going to just get married and that's what's expected of them. And now we don't necessarily, now we don't have that. Like there was certainly no weirdness about the fact that I was going to college. My daughter will absolutely, you know, I hope go to college. And, and I think that, um, I think the difference is now people have the choice to either, you know, go off and be CEOs or not. And I think, um, that choice is where feminism really lies, is being able to to not do what was expected to, of us solely because of our gender. I think that's the offensive part, right? Is mm-hmm. you're a woman, therefore you must. And um, And I think that what the feminist movement allowed us to do is say, no, I, I don't have to do anything. I get to make that choice myself. And I think when we start to judge people for making those choices, um, you know, in a, in a way, we're sort of flying in the face of what that whole point was. Is like, no, people are allowed to make choices for themselves. That's the point, and they're not. Con- and the choices that they make for their life and for how they live their life is not necessarily um, going to be. We we don't get to judge what the intellect behind it. You know, you make you make your own choices. And I and like I said um, earlier, I I still work twenty hour days. Like I'm still I'm still working crazy crazy hours and. Um, and so the fact that I'm not doing it in law, I mean, so, you know, I don't think that that, you know, people are, people should go, well, a lawyer is a male profession, which I honestly, it's not anymore. It's almost 50-50 mm-hmm. at this point. So you've betrayed the feminist? Uh, no, I, <laughs> I reject that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and I get, I mean, talking with you, there's a lot of clarity that's coming to my mind because really, you know, feminism, I don't think 
is about, and I, I would classify myself as a feminist. One of my favorite shirts I love to wear is well-behaved women rarely make history. Right. Yep. And, um, but feminism isn't about following in somebody else's path, right. Or going and fitting in somebody else's square box. Yeah. And, and when you talk about the choices and the, the other idea is that it's not so black and white, right. It's, it's really not. I mean, even parenting is not black and white. There's not one way to do it. And so to for us to step out of those boxes and go, okay, what are the lives that we want to create, you know, and ha what's the lifestyle that we want to have? And so this goes to your comment that you just made of, you know, you still work 20 hour days. My question for you now, Karen, is do you have the same panic attacks or ramifications on your health now that you did when you were a corporate attorney? Oh, God, no, <laughs> no, no. And, and I think the reason is because I'm doing what I was wired to do, mm. right? Like I'm doing... I'm doing what I love to do. Um, there isn't a time when I'm like, gosh, I hate my job. Like, I, I don't remember the last time I've ever said that about the work that I do. Um, and yeah, I do, I do crazy hours, but I also feel like, um, like I'm able to set my own time because I'm, you know, I work for myself. And also I think that I model uh, what I hope my daughter will take on board, which is that you should do what you're designed to do and you should figure what that out and you should figure out a way to make a living um, that enriches you that allows you that and when I say enriches you it's not like it's just all fun and games like I mean I don't mean to do that there's certainly challenging days that I have that I'm sort of like oh I don't want to do this right now because I just don't want to think about it like it's such a challenge to think about but um, but and I think that that what you do for a living should challenge you and what you do for a living should should stretch you and I think it should expand you but I think it should also be something that you're you know sort of champing at the bit to to stretch and to do and to challenge yourself with and I hope I model that for my daughter I hope my daughter when she starts um, you know she's only 10 but when she starts thinking about what what it is that that turns her on what it is that really um that she that lights her up the things that she likes to do that she starts to think about that as well how what education can I get to help me use that to make a living when I go forward? Because that certainly was not what I thought of. I, my father was an engineer, and so I went to engineering school because I knew that would please him. Mm -hmm. And because I knew that, or I believed at the time, that engineering is a good way to make a living. Um, but it, I, I had no desire to be an engineer, which was very apparent after the first year. And I thought, well, I'll go to law school. And I went to law school because I was like, well, um, I'm not, I don't know what else I would do, so I should go back to school, and I don't want to get a master's degree in engineering because it's not something <laughs> I enjoy. So it was either an MBA or law, and I felt like every engineer I knew had an MBA, so a law, might, a law degree might be kind of cool, plus LA Law was on the air at the time. <laughs> like, really cool, right? Like, and, that's and that's, by the way, an awful reason to go to law school. You know, like, that's terrible. People should not go to law school for that reason. They should go for ultra, and also Dick. To Kill a Mockingbird is and remains my favorite book. And Atticus was cool. And that was literally sort of the decision that I did to get this degree, which is horrible. And I thought I would hope that my daughter is not motivated by that, by those sort of, well, engineers are respected people in the world. And so I want to be that. So I'm going to do it. Like, I hope she thinks about things like, you know what? I'm a really good writer. I'm a really good, I'm really good at this. And I would like to learn more and figure out ways to do that. So so, and I feel like I model that for her now um, in, in doing what I do. I, I feel like, I don't know, we'll, you know, time will tell, but, but I hope I do. <laughs> so. So, so the, the LA law or, you know, the kill mockingbird, I, I just wrote in my, to my newsletter today about the idea versus the reality, right? The idea is LA law. This is what it will look like. Then there's a reality of the panic attacks and, and all of that. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Right. And, and I mean, it's just, and that's not to say, like, I have very good friends who are passionate about the law, and they really love the law, and they love going to work every day, and they love, um, they love how they're challenged within the law, and I think that's amazing. Um, and and I and I've always been sort of, uh, you know, stunned by people by kids who sort of knew what they were going to do from childhood and actually went out and did it and and were right. Like my mother is one of those people. She knew from childhood she was gonna be a teacher and she never played like the mom nursing the baby or anything with her baby dolls. She set them all up for a classroom like when she was a kid. She knew that's what she was gonna be and never looked back. And I think that's really, um, that's really exciting. My father was the same way. He was, you know, he's an engineer and he was like mathematics absolutely turned him on from a very young age. And so he knew 
um, that's what he wanted to do. And I didn't have that, but, and I did not have that necessarily modeled to me. Like what my father, what my father grew up very poor and, um, and he felt like engineering was the way to become wealthy. Now it turns out that that's what turned him on. Like he loved that. But when raising me, he was like, no, you need to be good at math. And I got very good at math, you know, through practice, but it was never something that was necessarily innate to me. And, um, and so I remember saying things like, well, I think I want to be an architect. And he's like, oh no, you're not artistic. You need to go do math. Right. And well, I think I want to be a linguist. Like languages was something that I really loved. And I think I, I want to be a translator at the UN. That's, that was my, I remember saying that I want to go to work for the United Nations and be a translator. And my mother loved that because languages was her thing. That's what she taught. She taught um, Spanish and French and, and languages were her thing. And my dad was like, yeah, well, you're never going to make money doing that. You need to go. And you're math. You're a math person. You're going to go do math and, and sort of thing. And I, and I did. And it turned out to be um, the wrong thing. I did fine at it because I had, you know, the 10,000 hours thing. I had worked at mm -hmm. it. But it was never something that was innate to me. I am a language person and I am a, um, a visual person um, ultimately. And, and, you know, it took, you know, 30 years for me to get there, but I eventually got back around to it. And I think that's what also I think um, part, partially that's where people's incredulous looks came from because I had so worked so hard to be a technical person. Um, it was hard for people to, to envision me as anything but an analytical, technical lawyer, you know, I mean, even as a lawyer, I was a software lawyer, so I did licensing. So it was all very <laughs> technical and I was, I mean, I could do it. I was, I was fine at it. Um, and now, you know, now that it's been six years that I, since I practiced the people that I've met since then, they look at me and they go, I can't imagine you were ever a lawyer. Like, how is that possible? I can't imagine that you were ever an engineer really. Um, and I was like, yeah, and, and, and did it well. Like I, I did, I did, you know, I had a good career at it. Um, but this feels more native to who I am. Um, so the thing that you said was you practice, right? It wasn't something that you were innately great at, but you practice. And that's something I really want the listeners to take away because mm -hmm. I believe that skill sets can be learned, right? Sure. In, in, in when you practice them. And the other side is that, you know, when you had gone and said, okay, I'm going to learn these skills, right? That's outside of really your comfort zone or even like your state of flow. But now doesn't that provide such great evidence for you in your life when you come up against something that can be challenging or outside of your comfort zone that, okay, this is outside of my comfort zone, but here I have this evidence in my life of when oh. I was able to overcome it. Absolutely. I mean, if, if that is one thing that I'm really grateful to my father for, it is, I mean, I remember going to him at a young age at nine or, you know, eight or nine and telling him I hated math. Like I, I hate math. And I, you know, telling that to my PhD petroleum engineering father was like <laughs> telling him I didn't want to live pretty much. So like, he was like, no, no, you love math. And, and he set out to sort of teach me how to do math. Like, and, and math is one of those things where it, you really, it's, it's a series of steps. And mm -hmm. as long as you do every step and you're meticulous about each step, like the answer has to happen. Like the answer comes out, right? Mm -hmm. It's, it's, um, there's all, there's only one right answer. Not, it's not like law where actually there are many right answers, but, <laughs> and it's all about how you, did you get there with mathematics? There is only one right answer. If you fail, the building will fall, the machine won't work, you know, whatever. And I remember, and i got good at it and I got good to the point where I remember in my SATs, I actually did better in English than math <laughs> and being very disappointed. Like, no, I'm a math person. How is this possible? You know, even though really language was my thing, but, but, you know, I didn't know it at the time. And I have to say that, that, that experience of sort of making me do things to the point where I actually ended up getting degrees in it. Um, at this point, I am, I am convinced that if I can't do something, it is because I am not showing any interest in learning it. Like I really sort of feel like everything is figure outable, uh -huh. right? Um, and, and, you know, like one of the things that I don't do and I'm, I want to learn to do is, um, is video. I really want to learn how to, to, um, do video with the kind of pr proficiency that I learned photography. Um, and I'm completely self-taught in photography. Photography was something that I started as a hobby when I was, um, right after I took the bar exam. I actually took the bar exam and sort of celebrated by buying my first camera, um, which was now 20 years ago. 
And so, and that was just practice and practice and practice. And I feel like I'm pretty proficient at photography now. And like my, my latest thing is I really want to learn videography. I want to learn because it's a different way of thinking. Mm-hmm. And um, just like I taught myself Photoshop, I want to teach myself how to, to edit video. And I, I haven't started yet, but this is one of the things that I'm like sort of 2014 is the year that I'm going to start doing this. And, um, and I feel like I can do it. Like it's just a matter of setting aside the time. Um, I don't look at it and go, oh, I could never do that, right? Like, I'm like, well, I have enough evidence in my past that if I put my mind to it, I can figure it out. I mm-hmm. can do that. And it's, I think that's an invaluable uh, lesson uh, to have. I, I hope my daughter figures that out. And I hope, you know, like we, I really sort of like, you can figure this out. And when she does, I mean, just the euphoria of finally getting something right that you never tried before, but you're like, let's give this a whirl. I mean, I, I think there's no better feeling than sort of nailing something that you're, you know, you're teaching yourself and you're working to do. I hope I never stop doing that. I hope I'm 90 years old and thinking I should pick up this thing and see what I can do. I think it's, I, I really do. I think that's the, I think that is the fountain of youth is, is teaching yourself new things. I really do. Well, I mean, there's, there's proof in like neuroscience. And years ago, I was talking to Daniel Coyle, who wrote a phenomenal book called The Talent Code. And, um, and we were talking about what happens in the brain and in swimming, because I coach swimming, but in swimming, one of the things we talk about is when you're going through that struggle, it's kind of like speed wobble. You know, it's like you're kind of like on the edge of the cliff and yep. you're you're wobbling along and just, you know, just you're on the edge and you could fall over and off the cliff, but you just, yep. you know, but if you can just stay wobbling along, but that's where that myelination of the neurons and the brain happen and the myelination of the sheath around the neurons. And um, so it's that struggle part, right, that you're talking about. And that is where he talks about is one of the components of how talent is grown is, right. is that it's that, again, going back to practice. Yep. It's all about it is all about practice. You know, I mean, was it Malcolm Gladwell? Was he the one that wrote about the 10,000 hours? Yep, it was him. Yeah. I mean, I think he, I, he's on to something there. I think that's true. Um, it's, it's all about just the practice and the, and the trick I think is to find something to practice that you like to practice, you know, <laughs> like we all had the piano lessons where, you know, we we're like, uh, uh, scales again or whatever. But, um, but at, I think when you find the thing that you really, really want to practice for me, it's photography for sure. Um, then it, then the, then the struggle and this, and the, oh gosh, you know, this is going to challenge me. I mean, that's fun. That, that's what gets you through it is because you found, you found what it is that you love. Well, do you find that because like when I, I love setting things up and learning new things and mm-hmm. then once I like get it mastered, I'm thinking, okay, I remember I would do this when I was, I used to teach health and then I was like one of the f- first online health teachers and I was so excited. I was like, oh, and I put together and I organized it and I got into this flow and I'm like, now my life's going to be easy and smooth. I'm in the promised <laughs> land. And then I was like, oh, this is boring. Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, I mean, after a while, it's like, I like that struggle part and yeah. that smooth and easy. I'm like, oh, you know, yes. I can, and I can never just like, even with the groups that I run, I can't, I'm always revising it. Like, I add to it as yeah. I'm learning more stuff. I don't just like hang out in that efficient place that yeah, I created. Yeah, no, absolutely. Like, there's a, um, I, I actually went through that recently with, with photography. Like, I was sort of like, I got this. Like, you know, there's got to be something more. And I ended up taking a course from uh, a woman, my very first photography, photography course I've ever taken, and I took it last year, from a woman who does photography very different from me. Like, it's very stylized um, art photography. So uh, her name's Brooke Shaden, and she does, you know, these beautiful art photography where it's like a woman, but she sort of looks like she's floating in air or she's growing you know, wings, or her hair's actually flames. Like, you know, this sort of really photoshopped, um, beautiful stuff. It's, it's really lovely. But it's not the kind of photography I do. And it was really great for me to shake me kind of out of what I do. I still won't do that. Like, that's not, that's not something that I have any real interest in doing. But I remember, like, all of a sudden learning, like, photography, like, Photoshop tricks that I had never considered before were really interesting. Um, similarly, the other thing that I did is my husband bought me a couple of years ago a beautiful medium format film camera, um, sort of an antique. And going back to film was like learning photography all over again, right? It's a whole different mindset. And I think um, the trick is that when you get to the point where what you're doing is rote, you've got to figure out a way to kind of inject new in. Like, you know, um, you have to inject that new. And for me, that film has also been a huge one where I'm like, okay, you know what? I'm sick and tired of the of the digital camera for a while. Let's take out the film camera um, because that's something that I'm not as comfortable with as as I am with my digital camera. 
Um, and for me also actually using my, using my iPhone, like using the mobile photography, like I'm mm-hmm. awful at it. I, you know, if I can't control, you know, aperture and all the stuff that I can control on my other one, I'm like, I, what do I do with this? <laughs> so that and it's a whole other way of thinking of composition and, you know, and, and that sort of thing. So it's really, um, I think, I think we have to stretch ourselves. I think the point where we, it, it gets rote is, um, it's not good. And I do, I mean, even like my blog, like I've been blogging now for 10 years, but every now and then I'm like, okay, I need to redesign it. It just needs to look different. You know, just do something where it injects new into it um, for me is, is really, and, 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 and also teaching online courses now that I'm doing this, this, uh, this in-person workshop, like that's a whole other way to kind of inject new. I think we, I think you have to, um, or, you know, you just become stagnant and that's never fulfilling. So Karen, I want to go back to this transition and about, you know, laying the foundation for your career, because you said some things that were really important at the beginning of this, uh, this conversation, where you talked about, you know, just there were there were like almost seeds that you planted, right? This idea of realizing the risk of your and your husband's employment, that the layoffs can occur. And so how can we live a life that we're only dependent on one income, right? And um, you said something that um, I'm going to ask because you said more than half of your household income, you know, was going to disappear when you left. So does that mean you were the primary breadwinner? Yeah, I mean, it was. Um, yes. When when my husband and I first got married, for sure, I was. Um, and then uh, and then he got a, He changed jobs and he got a huge raise. And by the time that um, by the time that I quit practicing law, we were, uh, you know, maybe 55, 50%. It was, okay. it was closer to, it was closer to parity by the time, um, I decided to quit my job, but we had, um, we had priced our life to live on the lesser of salaries, right? Like that was sort of our goal was to do that, which I'm so um, glad we did. And honestly, I think is a smart thing to do mm-hmm. just in life. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, to live below your means, I think is always a good idea. That's something my parents were very big on was always live below your means. And I, and I think we've done that. Um, so that was, that was a huge, that was a huge help obviously, because, um, I didn't feel as trapped as I'm sure, um, people, or like if I were a single parent, that would have been much more difficult for me to just to walk away. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I think, uh, I mean, you know, I, I'm an engineer and I'm a lawyer at, at, you know, at, at at my root, I am still a very practical person. Um, I actually recently wrote a post about this, about sometimes leaps aren't really leaps, mm-hmm. um, that, uh, even though it looked like a leap from the outside, because I was just like, okay, I'm gone, I'm out. Right. People didn't know that there had been work that was going on it, you know, for almost years, for years, uh, before I did it. Like I had been blogging at that point for six years. Um, I had been shooting for, you know, um, for over 10 years. I've been a photographer for 10 years. So I, you know, I, so I had a sort of a portfolio of work that I could leave, you know, that I was leaving, but I had a lot of, you know, writing and a lot of photography that I could showcase, right. And I could, um, put together. So it wasn't like I just kind of, you know, flounced and walked out and was like, okay, now I need to learn to do something, right. There was a lot of work that went on behind the scenes. And I think that's, um, I, I think that's a more pragmatic approach, I think, than to just sort of turn your heel. Like, I think there has to be some work behind if there's any chance of success. Mm-hmm. Well, so the things that I hear from you, because and the reason, you know, I asked that question about the 50, you know, the the income was yeah. that, you know, a lot of times I think women or people can say, oh, well, that's great for her. But that's yeah. not possible for me because I'm the primary breadwinner. And I know like women of our generation, we're seeing this more and more of women are being are the primary income earners. And, you know, when I was too, when I was at the college, I was not only the primary, but I was the one with the safe tenure job. Correct. Right. My yeah. husband, who's a swim coach at a university, could be fired at any time. Yeah. And actually four months after I left, they cut his team. Right. right. Wow. Yeah. Like so, so, you know, I always kind of knew that I was the one it was and I felt the the um, I guess the burden of that responsibility. And, yeah. but I guess what we're both are examples of to the listeners is that, you know, there's ways to be pragmatic to find a way, but sure. it is about being pragmatic. Like I, I love that term because I really talk about how can you be pragmatic in yeah. making deliberate choices? Well, exactly. I mean, and, and I was leaving, but my husband was still in oil and gas and, you know, and, and I, I left in 2008 when mm-hmm. everybody was losing their job. Right. Mm-hmm. And that was the other thing where people are like, everybody's losing their job and you're volunteering to quit. Like <laughs> insane. Right. So, I mean, the bottom fell out literally 
two weeks after I left, the bottom fell out of the stock market. Like it was, and so we were worrying about my husband's job. We were like, well, what's going to happen? Like, will he end up losing his job? So it still felt very, very risky, particularly because of the time that we were doing it. Um, and, and I absolutely, you know, two weeks later I thought, oh my God, what have I done? Like I should have, I should have stayed. Like the economy has just fallen out, you know, the bottom has just fallen out of the economy. Um, but, you know, I mean, you do what you got to do. And, and honestly, you know, if, if, you know, push came to shove, I would have found a way to, you know, do it, take an extra job or something else if it came up to that. But um, it thankfully never did. <laughs> I, you know, you know, I, it, um, I, you know, I'm not saying that there, there is, I'm not saying that people don't have valid reasons to feel like they can't make a change. I, I mean, I think there are, particularly if you have kids involved and things like that, like you have to, um, you have to be smart about it. But I also am a, when there's a will, there's a way. And, um, and I also want to say that it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be easy. It's not, it's tough. And if, you know, if it means like building up a portfolio so that the leap's not that big, it means you're going to be working when you come home from work at night and you're exhausted or working on weekends to kind of do that. Like, yeah, it, yes. And it can really suck, you know, mm -hmm. but, but, um, it's a matter of, do, is it something that you really want? And it may not be. And there's no shame in saying that either. Like, you know what? I don't want to do that, you know, work crazy hours after hours to try to, to build this up. I, I'm going to write it out. And I think there's, you know, there's no shame in making that decision either. But, but it is a decision. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a decision. And you can decide to make the change or you could decide not to. And there's no shame either way. But it's not like one or the other is impossible. I really don't believe that there's an impossibility there. Mm -hmm. Well, and, and, and I like how you say it is a decision, right? Yeah. And for people to make a decision and then to own that, like it, it goes back to our earlier conversation about being a feminist, like what is in line with your values, your priorities, sure. right? What Absolutely. is in line with your strengths? Maybe your strengths aren't to put in those long hours after work or on weekends. Maybe it doesn't work with your family's priorities. So it, it's not like this show is about the windows of possibility, right? It's not about this is the blueprint on how to do it. Right, exactly. <laughs> exactly right. And, and I don't think anybody can give you a blueprint. I mean, it's just, it, it's going to work the way you make it work, right? It's, it's mm -hmm. going to work the, how you do it. And, um, but, but I don't, I, 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 I sort of, reject the I can't I mean you can say I won't I think that's fair and I think there's no shame in that there's no shame in that there's no shame in saying you know what I can't I'm not going to do this I'm, I'm choosing not to make a leap until my daughter gets out of college or my mm -hmm. son graduates high school I mean that's if that works for your family 100% I'm for it baby you know go you know go do it but don't feel like um there's no choice. I think there's always a choice and there's always, like I said earlier, everything's figure outable. You can figure it out. Um, you can figure out a way to do it or choose not to do it. And that's fine. That's a hundred percent cool, fine, no problem. <laughs> well, it's, it's, you know, making a decision based on being an emotional adult, right? Instead of being like an emotional child of, oh, I don't have choices. Mm, right. Yeah. And like one of my friends, I have a lot of friends who are attorneys actually. Um, but she, she recently, um, in the last few years has taken a job working for the state of California as an attorney. And, and she's just very deliberate about it. She's like, I like, she's been an entrepreneur before in a totally different field. She left law. She was in a private practice, left law, was an entrepreneur and now has come back to, you know, being an attorney. And she goes, I like the fact that I go, I put in my hours and I go home and I have my weekends and she's very happy with that. Yep. Right. And that is a very deliberate choice and there's no shame about it. It's the choice that she has decided to make and that works in line with her own personal strengths, priorities and values. Amen. Good for her. That was part one of now a two part interview with Kara Walrand. We were talking and she just talked about her story so much and we were talking so much that we were just I had to stop the interview and I said, Karen, we're going to run out of time. We've hit 40 minutes and we, st we still have so much more to talk about. Would you mind staying longer? So we wanted breaking the interview into two interviews. And so I invite you to come back next week and hear the other part. But before we go on to talking about next week, let's think about that what she had to say today. There were some really key things that really caught my eye uh, or caught my ear, I guess, is, you know, when she talked about how she, 
even before she left her job, one of the things that was a value for both her and her husband where they priced their life to live on one salary. And here's the thing. I don't want it to trigger you any shame in case you go, well, I didn't do that. So now that means I'm stuck or I'm in this prison. This is her journey. This is a nugget. For those of you maybe starting out in your careers and your professional careers, this can be a way to how do you want to shape the life that you have? Or maybe you're thinking that maybe in the next five to 10 years, you want to have a change. So what are small changes you can make now that can help you create that life in the future? So I, that, that's one of the, I think, important concepts that really rung true to, for me. And uh, I took to heart and she said it a couple of times. The other thing that um, we talked about was, and I loved when we were talking about feminism and she talked about, you know, really for her, feminism is the right to determine your life. You know, and really that's what this, the crux of this show is. It's not about you have to do it this way or you have to follow this blueprint and then you're going to live happily ever after. Or, you know, I always tell my clients, I'm not the fairy godmother and it's bippity boppity boo and now you're transformed. It's work. It's practice, right? But how can you, what is your right life? What works for you? What is the life that you want to create and how can you go about doing it? And in her situation, right, there was going to be a pay cut from the lifestyle that she was used to. And she decided and her husband decided that that was worth it to create this new lifestyle that she wanted, to create this new career that she wanted, right? So it's about getting those people involved, like husbands, spouses, partners, right? Family members of, okay, this is going to be the shift. Are you, are we together on this or are we not? Right. And really paying attention to that. But I loved her idea about the feminism. And we had that conversation about where it once was and, you know, some of the scuttlebutt and, you know, especially for people that have gone on for such professional degrees to feel like, wow, that was a waste, you know, and how often do you know how, I mean, I have so many friends or even myself where I had to think about, wow, I have a master's degree and I just walked away. Right. Um, I walked away from all my graduate school education and, but none of that stuff did I leave behind. I've taken it with me and incorporated it in other parts of my career. And so when the other thing I wanted to talk about was um, figuring out a way to make a living that enriches you. Because isn't that what we really want? At least that's what I want and I wanted and what I've been able to figure out how to create and I'll share just a little bit about my transition. And so, you know, I've talked about this often. I've even had the chancellor of my previous school on years ago. Um, I was a tenured community college professor and I was a coach and I taught and, and I also taught uh, fitness classes. So I taught health, fitness, and I taught, I was a coach. And um, one of the things that I realized at some point was that the job that I was doing, while it looked great on paper, was not in line with my values. And, but it took me two years after I left to understand that and to be able to have a language with that. And even though it was so interesting, even though I remember one of my really good girlfriends and I, we talked about it and finally two years later I called her up and I said, okay, now I really understand why I had to leave. And she goes, isn't that what we've been talking about for the last two years? So as many of my clients know, I'm a kind of a slow learner about things. I'm not so quick about it. It just took me a while to really process it because, you know, I get in the way my, you know, on paper, the job looked really good, um, contractually, but there was the idea of it, which was what was the contract on paper. And then there was the reality of it. And what really came down to was that it was not in line with my values. And, um, I also didn't really get to use much of my strengths there. So one of the things that I work with clients on is about, you know, for them to understand what are their values, what are their strengths and their priorities? Because when you know that it becomes easier to figure out, is this job a good fit for me? Because so often, at least when I was young, it was, well, will they hire me? And will I make enough money for the lifestyle that I want? Right. That's, that was what I measured it on. And when you think about like my interview with Tess Vigiland, who used to, she was the host for um, one of the NPR shows, Marketplace Money. And we talked about what is her definition of success? You know, what is success for you? Here she was at one of the top radio shows in the country, 
you know, with millions of listeners daily. And what is success? Right? We think that those are the things that are going to bring us happiness, but what is it that we really want? So when we know what our values, our strengths, and our priorities are, it can help us get clarity. You know, that just happened today when I was working with a client and we've been working on for her to understand, you know, get clear on what are her values, what are her strengths, right? And what are her priorities? And today when we finally did that piece with the strengths, it came to her and she goes, wow, this is really clear. This is the direction that I want to focus on with my next step in my career. And it's, it's one of those things, like one of the metaphors that I use is that it's like when you go into a grocery store, there's what, 80,000 items in the grocery store, right? It can be really overwhelming if you're looking at every item. You could probably be stuck there for two or three hours. But what we tend to do is we know the certain products that we buy and we walk in and we go in and we simplify it, right? When there's too many choices, we get overwhelmed. But when you know, hey, this is the milk I buy, this is the butter I buy, this is the meat I buy. I mean, there was a whole freezer section of meat that I didn't even know existed for 10 years. Remember, I'm a slow learner because I never paid attention to it because that's not the area that I got food out of. But now that I've bought a little bit of frozen fish, I've seen this other area. I still haven't visited that much. So again, that's like the value, strengths, and priorities. When you know that, it helps you get clarity so you can make decisions. And when you don't know and you don't have that clarity, it's not a bad thing, right? But it's about, okay, what? understanding why is this important, right? Recently, I had the situation with, um, uh, with, with one of the grocery items. And when I finally went back to, okay, why do we buy this product? Then it became easier to go, okay, well, then of course, I'm going to buy it from this product as well, right? Because that's in line with that value, that common value. And here's the reason. So, you know, getting in line with your values, your strengths, and your priorities. And if you're really thinking about like a job change, you know, I really invite you to take a look at that. There's a lot of assessments out there that you can do or work with a coach or, you know, work with someone that can help you really get to the heart of the matter and what's going on. Um, And finally, I want to talk about something that, you know, we were talking about right at the end with Karen and, you know, and she was talking about pursuing and about, and leaping and that sometimes leaps really aren't leaps. And I think this is a really important, you know, comment to close on is that sometimes we will see, and I've talked about this before about like the Facebook highlight reel, we will see other people's successes and, or we will see other people's transitions, but not know really what goes on behind that green curtain that I like to pull open with my guests and really share, right? So understanding that sometimes leaps really aren't leaps. There is a backstory. There is a process. There's a lot of struggle and it may not seem, may not really be what it seems. So when you are comparing your insides and your own difficulties and looking at everybody else going, oh, they have such an easier road. I really invite you to consider that it may not be as simple as that. There there may be a lot more to it. So instead of you getting yourself pigeonholed, I really invite you to go, okay, you know, here I feel stuck. What, What can I go listen to that can inspire me? Who can I go ask questions to? You know, what is it that you can make a forward action to creating the life that you want? Thanks for listening to How She Really Does It. I invite you to subscribe to my weekly newsletter at howshereallydoesit.com. I do this show each week for you so you can now see the windows of possibilities in your own life. I believe there are many journeys for us to take. We can learn from others to see what is possible for ourselves. I believe there are possibilities for all of us, not just the ones who've acquired great success, but including those of us who have stumbled, lost our way, or only saw closed doors. With this show, maybe you can now see a glimmer coming through the windows. I call that the windows of possibility. Each week, I bring a guest who represents those possibilities. They too have had their own struggles and uncertainty, yet somehow they have found their way. My guests are an example of what is possible 
when you continue, when you learn, leap, fall down, and get back up. I invite you into this space so you can ask yourself, if that is possible for them, what is possible for me? Really ask yourself that. I would love to connect with you. Please join me at www.howshereallydoesit.com. And thanks for listening today. On a lake, she is dreaming, she is drifting, never been so wide away. Captured in-